you're, we're dealing with forces that we can't see. You know, I, I call upon uh, Shakyamuni Buddha and our, our Kishimojin, which is Hariti in, in Sanskrit. Um, it's her power that I channel. It's not my power. I have to be strong enough to withhold being attacked by outside negative forces, demons, if you will, but also I have to be able to be strong enough to channel uh, the power of Shakyamuni Buddha and Hariti out to, to do the work. Shota Douglas Kanai Shonin was raised Buddhist in America by his Japanese parents. His father, Reverend Shokai Kanai, founded the Nichiren Buddhist Canon Temple in Nevada. But initially, his son was not interested in following in the family tradition and went on to earn an MBA and worked in the back offices of the casino. But as his father neared retirement, Shota Shonin began to reevaluate his path and decided to commit himself to the faith. He moved to Japan and spent three and a half years studying and practicing at a remote mountainside temple in the northern Osaka prefecture. During this time, he completed two separate 100-day ascetic training sessions, or ragyo, which involved chanting the sutras, ritual water purification with cold water, eating two meals, and only sleeping two and a half hours a day. In 2015, he succeeded his father as the new head priest of the Kenon Temple and has taken on the task of making the Nichiren Shu path more accessible to an American audience. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian Whitemar. This podcast is sponsored by the Providence Zen Center, a residential Buddhist community in Cumberland, Rhode Island. The Providence Zen Center provides opportunities for short and long-term residency and holds retreats from one day to three months. For more information, please visit ProvidenceZen.org. Shoda Shonin. Yes. You were raised Buddhist in America. Yes. Uh, Japanese parents, sort of living probably between two worlds. Yes, you could say that. In your family, and then uh, I know that you were sort of born and, and at least initially raised in Salt Lake City, so not a hotbed for a Nichiren Shu. You have to remember, before the war, World War II, a lot of Japanese immigrants left Japan, and they were trying to uh, uh, create a new life for themselves, and a lot of them were farmers. And so there are a lot of farmers in, in Utah. And then after the war, or during the war, uh, a lot of the Japanese Americans were sent to concentration camps in Idaho and, and surrounding areas. And so they, after the war, they came back and they settled. And so um, having a lot of these uh, uh, Japanese uh, come over, they would brought, they want their religion, you know, someplace like a community center. And uh, they asked Japan if they could send a priest out. And the minister came out, and they started to create a temple. 
Uh, and so I've been really surprised. Uh, I periodically go back up during uh, what we call during Obon season in July, uh, pay our respects for, for the deceased, our deceased ancestors. And as I do uh, cemetery visits, there are a lot of Japanese Americans and a lot of Japanese names I see on the gravestones. Some of these go back to the turn of the centuries, well, 1906, 1916s. And it's kind of interesting because being in Vegas is so new. Right. <laughs> it's relatively new, right, historical-wise. And we don't have farmers and so forth in that sense. Um, but the, there was a temple there. And uh, that's where I was born. I'm sorry, there was a temple in Salt, in Salt Lake City? City that... Yes. And uh, obviously, there's other uh, Japanese Buddhist uh, temples there. The uh, the Pure Land sects were there. I think there might be a couple of Zen temples. I'm not sure. The Japanese census was set up through the temples. Really? So wherever your family was set up, and that temple is basically your religion. And so if you're a Nichiren, uh Shu, and then you're Nichiren Shu, but a lot of people were Jodo Shinshu, and uh, they just continue down. So it's just family, family tradition, and that's the religion who you are. So that is so, that's such an interesting story of the, the Japanese community being in Salt Lake City, not just as farmers, but also because of the concentration camps, and then asking for you know, a priest to be sent over from from Japan. Now, th that was the generation before your father, though, I'm assuming. Yeah, this is really uh, like in the 1930s, 1940s. You know, my dad was born in the 40s uh, during the war. So maybe even like two generations before him. Yeah, two generations before so he was serving a community that was established. And, and why did he decide to go? I guess you guys went up to Seattle first as a family and then down to Las Vegas? What happened was the, the Seattle temple was, was obviously more established, you could say. It's a bigger community. And so that resident minister was moving to San Jose to build a new temple in San Jose. And so um, they asked my father to move to Seattle and take care of that temple. In the sense, it's like stepping up, right? Some small congregation to a medium congregation, and then eventually onto a larger congregation. So you were raised as <laughs> you were raised as the preacher's kid. All I all I knew was living in the temple. Right. It wasn't until high school that I moved out into a house. Oh, really? So it was like you were you were right in the temple. Yeah, I lived in the temple. Wow. But you weren't initially drawn to this as a career path. It was... No, not really. Um, in the olden days, they were quite strict regarding uh, priests and uh, training. And uh, there's something in Japanese is called shami ko. Uh, shami is a uh, apprentice priest. Ko is child. Oh, yeah. And so they have apprentice child. They're not really apprentices per se, but apprentice to be but not yet and this is uh from fifth grade to they have junior high so junior high third year and it was very it was for one week in the middle of july um and it was it was quite strict 
uh, being an American, uh, my brothers and I went through it. And, uh, you know, I, it wasn't a good experience. I mean, it was great, but it was very, how to say, they, they have us, uh, what we call a show daigyo, which is our chanting meditation. And then before that, we have quiet meditation as we sit in seiza, which is have your, uh, you know, your, your legs, lower half of your legs curled under and you sit on your, the back of your feet. Well, that hurts because right. for those who are not used to it, like us Americans who always sit in chairs, our muscles aren't geared towards that. And so I move. And so when you move, um, you Zen people might know, but they bring out the big stick. <laughs> and I'm not sure if they still do it now, but they brought out the big stick and they would tap you on the shoulder and they slap you in the back. And so I oh. equate uh, this chanting meditation to violence or to being hit. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was wrong. You know, this is not no way. And as a child, you don't know any better. And so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be hit, you know. And, and there was a lot of other strict uh, practices, uh, very close to some of the things that we, what we did in the 100 days. And uh, come to find out later, some of the instructors went through the 100 days. So that's why they were kind of uh, very hard, uh, hard practice right. because that's what they are. And through that practice, I see, you know, this is, this is not me. I, I want to do what I want to do as being an American. And obviously in Japanese traditions, the firstborn son, which is me, carries on the tradition of the father's business, whatever it may be. If you're doing a craft, uh, you would follow your father's footsteps and continue on the tradition in that craft. And my father's craft was priest. But you know, being raised American, I, I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> and so do what I want to do and whatever that is, you know, whatever that may be. And so my father was very, uh, I guess, torn with that. You know, his father was a priest too. My grandfather was a priest. And, you know, we like to continue the tradition on. But, uh, you know, I, I want to do my own thing. But he made a deal said, you know what, you have to graduate college um, before you can become uh, ordained. It's one of the requirements. And so he goes, you know, go ahead and just get, just get ordained. Just go through it, get ordained. Because if you're ordained, you're, you're a minister, right? You're a priest now. So you can, and then once you're a priest, now you can do what you want. You can still do the priest work or go into whatever <laughs> I lo I love the fact that he's like, oh, you know, just do it, and then you can do whatever yeah, exactly. you want. Exactly, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's like he twisted my arm, kind of thing, and and you know, obviously he had foresight too. But and think about now, if I wanted to continue and say, oh, now I want to become a priest, it's it's very difficult. Uh, now it's another right. ten years. Uh, I need a new apprenticeship, do that and that process, and and get them, but. Be right after college and getting ordained, now I have all that, even though I'm not practicing per se, I still helped out at the Seattle Temple and helped out the, the resident minister. Um, it was somebody else. My father went back to Japan when I was in high school. But um, so looking back now, I'm glad he did it this way. You know, he probably knew that I was 
probably going to lean and become and follow this in footstep later, but uh, you know, kind of twist an arm and say, "Hey, do it this way." And you know, once you're a priest, you're a priest. You you, you graduate to 35 days or ordination process, and some people go on, some people go back and be regular workers or doctors or whatever, but or use it part time. But then, after you were ordained, you you decided not to do that full time. And you went on to get an MBA. Yes, I, I went out into the the business world, uh, you know. And I'm, you know, looking back now, I'm kind of glad I did, uh, especially uh, get my MBA and get into the casino business. And well, I was a financial analyst, so I was really working a lot of the numbers. But I always dealt with a lot of the uh, vice presidents, CFOs, and presidents. And I was especially in food and beverage, so that's taking care of all the restaurants and bars. And so, with that practice, I met a lot of different people. I met uh, some really high power people. Um, we took care of what we call the villas. The villas are where the VIP, super VIPs uh, come into the back entrance, and they have their own nice, you know, four thousand square foot hotel room that they can sleep and whatever they want to do. And and so, so I met some of those people, and as well as some of the line workers. And by being able to talk to people and try to, not to say manipulate, but try to understand people and what they're saying. And then through that process of understanding and talking to people, you can't talk to, you know, uh, like the CFO or sub a chef this way, and then go back down and talk to a line worker the same way. And through that process, like, oh, I can use this for counseling how to talk to people because if I I was looking back you know I might have learned this if I went straight and became a priest and been full-time priest but I don't think I would have that worldly experience I think my my blinders would be very narrow and being out into the real world and meeting different types of people and interacting with different types of people my my blinders opened up Whereas probably don't have blinders, so I can see more people or see how different types of people and how they react, and then I can use that. And when I help people uh, counseling or when people have troubles, and I can rely upon that experience. So I'm kind of glad I went that path, especially helping people out in the in the, I was to say the Western Americans. Here, they're not. They're different. Um, I can't talk to them like if I was Japanese to them. Um, it's just different cultures. And so being raised in this culture and being able to work and meet different types of people, now I can use my past experiences in order to help people and give them hopefully proper advice. So what happened along the way? You know, you're working in the casinos. You're working with people who you know, these sort of VIP people, something called you back to the faith. I got burned out. Um, we opened this new casino uh, called Aria, but the company wasn't doing too well. And we barely opened it up. And that that process opened at the casino, it just, I got burned out. I, I had enough. You know, I was gaining any more benefit really uh, uh, working. And I saw my father is getting tired. Um, he's getting up there in age. But also, 
say, hey, you know, if I continue on this path and my father passes away, the temple will just go to nothing in a sense. I probably need to now interject myself, if I'm not the right word, but to say, hey, to, in order to expand Nutrient Shu in America, probably better to have somebody who's a native American speaker. And though my dad has been doing this for over 50, 60 years, his English is still not, you know, he doesn't write well and he doesn't speak well. And he doesn't use terminologies that maybe can reach um, some of our American uh, followers. So I decided to come back and help him and, and then, in a sense, take over so more Americans can understand you know, Nichiren Buddhism. That's so interesting, though. There was this shift to come back to a different type of service. You'd you know, been in the working world, and, and then there was this call, totally understand your dad's getting older, but that doesn't necessarily mean for a lot of people that they go into the priesthood. But I'm already, uh, I'm already a priest, so it's, it's yeah. and I don't want to call it pressure, too. Uh, my dad never pressured me, hey, come back. Um, in a sense, it's my decision to say, hey, I need to come back. And, you know, how can we expand Nutrient Shoe and in our practice to more people? What would be the purpose of that? In a sense, to spread, spread the teachings of our founder, as well as uh, the Lotus Sutra to, to everyone, and, and to show them how master, uh, mystical this, this process is and how it could be really beneficial to everyone. And so I, I guess I sort of am leading the question a little bit, because when I think about Las Vegas, I've only been once. And I, I had a great time, but I was only there for a couple of days. But it also seems like a place where there's a lot of suffering. Like there's this incredible level of fun and excitement, but then probably very quickly you see a lot of suffering. There is. My father was called back from Japan and was the bishop of the Nichiren Shu Order of North America which is the association of all the temples. And he went to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, it's probably the biggest temple uh, um, here in America. And again, you know, Los Angeles is a very big territory, and he was thinking about retiring or slowing down, you could say. And we only had some uh, members out here in Las Vegas who would come and drive out to Los Angeles for uh specific uh, ceremonies and, and, and services. And they would, and my parents would go into Las Vegas. And my dad was thinking, no, Las Vegas is probably a good place uh, to start a new temple uh, because there is a lot of suffering, um, but also people need help. And I don't think a lot of people know where to turn to right. for that help. And so establishing a, uh, a Buddhist temple. There are other Buddhist temples here, um, but more open to the public, I should say. Um, there are, I, I know there are Vietnamese temples, uh, Cambodian temples, Thai, uh, a few Zen centers. Uh, but 
mainly those uh, are culturally bound. Uh, for example, the Cambodians speak just Cambodian, you know, uh, someplace where Cambodians can uh, uh, meet and speak and, and their culture. Whereas here at uh, the Kanon Temple, it's more open. Anybody can come. We have Japanese uh, followers uh, because we are Japanese, uh, but we have a lot of more Americans. When you decided that this is a, a path for you, you went back to Japan uh, for three and a half years. Yes. And you did two of these 100-day ceremonies, which I, I'd never heard of before. They're called Aragyo. Yeah, Aragyo. And they, they sound very sort of these very severe aesthetic rituals. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about those three years and then that, that ritual. Aragyo practice 100 days. It's one of the, the toughest uh, ascetic practices uh, in, in, in Japan. Um, it's 100 days. It starts November 1st and ends on February 10th. And the reason why I chose this practice to do this voluntary practice, this insane practice, was that my father did it three times. So he's completed 300 days. My grandfather completed 500 days. And so that's the max. It's uh, 500 is the max. In order to follow my father's footsteps, um, yes, it'd be nice to be able to be able to do what he does. In a sense, it wasn't really necessary. Yeah, I can do special blessings was just by reading prayer. It's it's uh, anybody can do blessings if they're a priest. But me being an American, I'm always thinking about myself. You know, I'm very selfish. Even though I don't think I want to say I'm selfish, deep down I'm extremely selfish. And so, in a sense, I needed humbling. And this practice, uh, what I heard, was very humbling. And so that's why I decided to enter the 100 days. Just briefly, I'll tell you what uh, the each day consisted of. 2.30 a.m. is wake-up call. 3 a.m. is the first water purification. Uh, this is a special area that we go, we spent, chant special uh, sutras as we pour cold water over our, uh, basically it's very enclosed, it's, we're all naked. There's no point of having loincloths because it just gets wet. And 4 a.m. is our morning service. 5 a.m. is breakfast. Breakfast consisted of uh, okayu and miso soup. Okayu is rice gruel and might have some pickles if we're lucky. And then miso soup just consisted of maybe a few vegetables. And for first-year people, uh, 15 seconds is all we had to consume our breakfast. So you're just essentially just drinking it right down. Exactly. Uh, I helped pouring out. It's When it comes out, the rice school is very hot. Since it's cold, it cools down very quickly uh, within 10 minutes. So you take, you slurp the rice, take a sip of the soup, you then you dump the soup into the rice, mix it all up, and then you drink. Uh, and that's part of the training as well as, you know, when you sit down and eat, it's more comfortable. You want to sit back and chit-chat and so forth. No, everything is training. Everything is acidic training. And so that was breakfast. And then 6 a.m. It's the second water purification. 
and 7 a.m. is cleaning. You have to clean the whole uh, temple area. And 9 a.m. is the third water purification. And after that, we jump into our inner hall at 10 a.m. is the midday service. Then at 12 noon is our fourth water purification. Then at 1 o'clock is our noon service. Then at 3, we have a, our fifth water purification. And then at 4 is our afternoon service. And then at 5 is dinner. Again, rice girl and miso soup. 15 seconds. And uh, then 6 uh, p.m. is our sixth water purification. And then 7 uh, is our evening service. And uh, upon completion of the evening service at 9 to 11 is straight chanting. And that was probably the worst time. Um, three hours, four hours sitting, says, uh, oh, your feet hurt pretty bad. And we were on tatami mats, but on top of the tatami mats, we had uh, rice shoot mats. And it's not comfortable. <laughs> and uh, if you move, you can cut your you can cut your feet. And so a lot of people's feet got infected. I still have scars from my open sores. Uh, the sores it got so bad I can almost see my bone. So what is what are they trying to? I mean, it is humbling, I guess, in the sense of like everything is just getting stripped away. But what's the point of it being so aesthetic? I think it's the point is to find yourself. Uh-huh. You have to strip away yourself, the outer shell, to get to the core. Because I can lie to myself and say, oh, I'm you know, such a great guy. I am not selfish. So for, no, no, no. That's just a facade that I put out. And by lack of sleep, lack of food, you know, I lost close to 30 pounds. You, you, you don't say you lose your mind, but you actually find the core of yourself. Uh-huh. And in the core of the self is the first 30, it's a hundred days. So the first 35 days is what in Japanese is called Zaisho Shomets, elimination of your sins. So this is purifying our karma of this life, but also our past lives. And so what happens is sometimes when we're stripped down to our essence is those karmas comes alive. So I've seen people's eyes. Eyes are truly the windows to the soul. Because I've seen people's eyes, they went all black. There's no brown. It's all black. There's nobody home. They're that gone. And so, or that evil karma or that evil sin within them manifests itself out. Also within this practice, especially the first hundred uh, days, I'm hungry. All I'm thinking about is is food. I turned into an animal. <laughs> I tried to go dumpster diet. You know, people we don't throw food out, but you try to find places in the kitchen or something where there's food, and because you're so hungry, and you go, "Wait, can't I stop myself from doing that or not?" Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. You know, I want to eat. I want to drink water. You try to, some people try to cheat and try to find food or, or steal other people's food, you know, 
And so again, a lot of these, the sins and stuff come out. So you have to, in a sense, try to find yourself. In America, we don't have ascetic practice, nothing really hard. And the only thing I can quit is the military. Yeah, I was just thinking it sounds like a, a friend of mine went to the Air Force Academy and he tells the story of like sneaking into the kitchen and drinking a whole jar of honey yeah. uh, just because he was so deprived. Yeah, I have friends who went to the military academies too. And when you eat, you have to sit up straight and you know you only have three bites. Yeah. And if you don't, in three bites, you have to swallow. So you're forced to swallow. And so it is very tough training like that. And so, you know, you could say they're breaking you down just like the military and then they build you back up. And so part of the process of this is to break you down, obviously the core, but also build you back up. And so in order to do the special blessings and we have these special instruments, we insert special sutras. Um, it's all phrases from the low sutra into our special chant. And you have to be strong. In order to be strong, you have to go down, riddle away, defeat, you can say, defeat your own Mara, defeat Mara so you can be enlightened. Not to say be like Buddha and I all seeing, but to that point where you can break down and then you can be stronger. So after you finished the second time, you you finished your time in Japan and you came back to the United States um, and you actually became the 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 new head priest yes at the the temple in Nevada yes. and you've been serving that as head priest for the last three years yes and so what's what is it like for you now to work with people you've been through this grueling training? What what is the practice that you're giving the 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 advice that you're giving to people for their practice now in in Nevada in Las Vegas? Basically, it's uh, understanding, and and so what I realized, um, yes, I I uh, once a month I do this special uh, keto uh, special blessing ceremony um, by doing what I learned in the hundred days. And only those in the 100 days can do this special thing. Because uh, if I say, hey, Ian, here, I'll give this to you. I'll teach you this. You go do it. Well, what happens is that, you know, Ian, you might be fine doing this, but you can get possessed. Huh. Okay, because if you're not spiritually strong, right. um, you, are, you can be attacked. And so you're, we're dealing with forces that we can't see. You know, I, I call upon... Uh, Shakyamuni Buddha and our, our Kishimojin, which is Hariti in, in the Sanskrit. Um, it's her power that I channel. It's not my power. I have to be strong enough to withhold being attacked by outside negative forces and demons, if you will, but also I have to be able to be strong enough to channel uh, the power of Shakyamuni Buddha and Hariti out to, to do the work. That's fascinating. Like the idea of you know not just being strong enough to resist Mara, but also to be strong enough to channel the teaching. Yes, because if you're not again, like I say, if I Ian, if I give it to you, you, you can get tired, you can get physically exhausted, and I've seen some people do that, and sometimes I get exhausted, especially after right. the hundred first after I got the first hundred times because I oh yeah I I can do this now. So again, the arrogance comes out again. Me being American. And 
you know, I'm number one, you know, I have this big sword now, right? And I got attacked oh. and I got tired. And so you could tell, say, why am I tired? I'm not chanting enough. I'm not in the right mindset. And so there are little things that you do learn in the process as you're going through this. Uh, but also, how do I reach the Americans, you know, in English? Trying to explain this Buddhism in English. Right. And so my practice, I'm starting to bring more English in our service. I want to try to find ways to make it easier, especially the Lotus Sutra, which is very difficult. Try to make it easier so that anybody just walks in can maybe not get the gist of everything, but get some knowledge. And I want to make sure everybody has that understanding. So then now that the, the Buddha nature can like also grow and it starts to shine within everybody. Because everybody has that Buddha nature. It's just we need to activate. And I'm here in my practice and so I'm trying to activate each and everyone's Buddha nature. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Shoda Douglas Kanai Shonen encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more about his teaching by visiting his temple's website at www.kannon-temple-nevada.org or by visiting their Facebook page at facebook.com slash K-A-N-N-O-N Temple N-V A special thanks to our sponsor, the Providence Zen Center. If you would like to deepen your practice commitment, I encourage you to explore PZC's residential and retreat opportunities. You can find all of that information at providencezen.org If you would like some guidance on how to meditate, there are some videos you can watch at providencezen.org slash videos My name is Ian Whitemar and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.